Well, welcome to God's Word Baptist Church midweek service. Um, hey, we've kind of haven't had a specific consistent series on Wednesday nights for a little bit uh, due to some, <clears throat> shall we say, issues. Um, I'm going to attempt to get into one, even though we're going to have to take a brief pause from it for a little bit at the end of this month, beginning of July. Uh, July. But uh, I really wanted to get into it. Um, uh, I've been hanging around the book of James for a while, uh, kind of uh, going through reading it, uh, gleaning some things from it. There's a lot of great subject matter. There's a lot of material to cover. Um, there's, uh, it's, a, it's a shorter book. It does not have as many verses as many others. Uh, you, you, you go through and you find that you've got uh, about five chapters and um, it, it, it's a, an abrupt book, meaning it starts abruptly and ends abruptly. There isn't a lot of things that, um, like where you would see with Paul, where there's salutations, things of that nation, nature, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, where he's uh, exiting the letter and uh, talking about certain people. Um, James just kind of gets into it with just a brief introduction and a brief uh, message, if you will, about who it's to. Um, we'll talk about uh, one of the uh, important principles of the book that the book gives us when it comes to studying Scripture. Uh, like we were talking about First John, First uh, John gives us some good principles about uh, um, comparing Scripture, uh, finding similar phrases, seeing uh, connections uh, with certain books, and as well as... Uh, uh, certain writers, um, but uh, we have James here who just wrote this one. Uh, nothing um, uh, too flowery, if you will. It's uh, just a, a kind of a cut and dry book. Uh, gets to the point, gets to uh, moving into what to do about the issues, um, how to correct them. Uh, there is some upbraiding that comes as well as uh, a lot of correction, a lot of instruction, and a lot of practical guidance for us as Christians today. Um, you know, all Scripture is profitable. And uh, I believe that because that's what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says that if all Scripture is profitable, then I'm going to get something out of everything that I read, uh, regardless of where it is and who it's to. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But um, with this book, there is a lot of practical application for a Christian on a day-to-day basis how to please God, how to bring him glory. And uh, we're going to find that out here in just a little bit. But let's go ahead and uh, open with a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time and the opportunity to be here. I thank you again for uh, your word that just continues to guide and direct us. I pray, Lord, this evening that our hearts would be prepared and ready to receive what you have for us. I pray, Lord, that you be with my mouth, that only the things that would please you, honor you, glorify you would be spoken, and that your name would be lifted up, your word would be um, just uh, held up, Lord, and uh, we would just uh, see glory in all that you do and what you've done for us. Pray, Lord, that uh, you just give us uh, that guidance as we look to faith and patience uh, throughout this book, as well as works. And that, Lord, you just uh, clearly show us the meaning and everything that you have here uh, for us as believers. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. And pray, Lord, that this would just be a time of uh, blessing one another as we uh, try to please you and honor you with all that we do. And I ask this and pray it in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so James chapter 1 and in verse 1, we're not going to get too far um, as you know, when I start doing book studies, it starts, you know, I'll say, oh, hey, we're you know, hoping to get through like, you know, the first 10 verses. And it's like, yeah, I get through one. Uh, but uh, we I want to start off here um, just looking at a few of these um, these verses. Uh, James chapter one, verse one, it says, James, a servant of God uh, <clears throat> and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. Greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, uh, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect in, in excuse me, be perfect, perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to men all, uh, giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So we'll stop right there in verse 8 because that's kind of a natural break where he's working through these things. We'll talk a little bit more about the asking, uh, the double-mindedness that's there, uh, because again, that is a is a pretty serious issue, uh, and that's what he's getting at: is a, a person that goes to God in prayer and goes, "Well, I really hope this is going to work." Well, that's not the way you approach the Lord. That's not how you approach Him in prayer. You approach Him with pleading. You approach Him with asking. There's supplications. Uh, there's intercessions that are made. There's all these things. There's thanksgiving and praise. All of this is part of prayer. And when he's asking for wisdom here, which is obviously something you're going to need when you're going through it, when you're going through the temptation, when you're going through uh, that trial of faith, when you're needing it to increase patience in your life, and you're asking for wisdom on how to handle things and how to approach things, how to think about things, how to react, what to say, all these things, you, you can't be wavering in that. You can't be wavering in it in such a way that you're trying to integrate uh, the things of the world into the things of the Christian life. You know, again, go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But we, we see here very clearly that, that James has got several subject matters. And I, I mentioned a couple of them. We were, we're going to talk a lot about faith. We're going to talk a lot about works. We're going to talk a lot about uh, perfect in that perfection. We're also going to be talking a lot about patience. Patience shows up very frequently in this book, um, and, uh, is, is something that we should take note of. If you're in a book and all of a sudden you start seeing a pattern where God starts mentioning the same principle over and over and over and over and over again, that's a clue for us as, you know, as students of the Word of God to say, hey, I need to pay attention to that. That's something that's important. And and again, we're going to wind up talking about patience, not the most favorite subject. People don't really like to talk about patience. Why? Because it generally means you have to exercise it. And exercising patience can be a bit of a, a trial. It's going to be a trial of your faith. Especially when you, when you don't know what's going to go on, when you're not uh, aware of what's going to happen, when you uh, have no idea what's on the other side of the door, you really have got to begin to trust the Lord and patiently wait for him to do what he needs to do while you're busy working. And that's the issue. You know, that's one thing that I'll bring up is, is that, you know, we talk a lot about works in this, in this book. Uh, the, 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 the Christian was never designed to be idle. I mean, Ephesians 2.10 makes that very clear. We are not designed to be idle in our Christian life. We're not to be stagnant. We're not to, to, to just sit around and twiddle our thumbs and wait for the Lord to come back. No, we wait for the Lord to come back, but while we're waiting, we're working. We're engaging in the fight. We're engaging in labor. We're engaging, if you will, in the husbandry and the building. And I mean, all of the examples and the analogies that the Lord uses to demonstrate to us what we need to be doing, that's what we need to be doing. You know, we, we will approach verses that will talk about faith without works is, is dead. How, how, how are you demonstrating to people that you have faith in God? What are you showing them? Do you have more faith in President Biden or do you have more faith in the Lord? Do you have more faith in, you know, uh, Donald Trump or do you have more faith in God? Is there more faith in, 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 in our government or is there faith in Jesus Christ, who is the government, if you will? You go back over there, Isaiah chapter 9, it says the government's on his shoulders. He, 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 he man, you ever think about this? I know this is a rabbit trail. But bear, bear, bear with me. You ever think about that? How is it going to be when Jesus Christ rules and reigns? 
I mean, all this stuff that we see where people can't seem to get along and stuff that, that we look at and we go, why is this happening? Stuff like that's not going to be happening. That type of stuff would end. The chop zone up in Seattle, yeah, that would have never happened. All they would have done was post one angel there. Just stand there and go, what are you going to do? I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. Think about believers who, who will have a body that can't be harmed. They come up and rebuke, and then they try to do something to you, and they're just like, they're sitting there punching you, and it's like punching a brick wall. And you're like, I'm just going to wait for you to stop. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, that's my, part of my imagination running wild, but I just sit there and think about it. That, that kind of rebellion is going to be squashed. That lifting up of the of, of individuals and groups in pride is going to be squashed. It's not going to occur. The Lord has made that very clear. And what we find here is we find in this passage, as he talks about all these things with faith and patience, uh, um, we find about wisdom. and I mean, there's just so much that is packed in James that, that there's no way you could just cover this book in like one session. It's just not even possible. I mean, again, you sit down and read the book, reread the book, reread the book, and reread the book. What's almost it, Mike, that the guy was in for how long? <laughs> I mean, you know, he sat there and the stuff that you can glean when you sit there and you study and you focus on the Word of God. When you're, when you're truly open to receiving this. But right out of the gate, let's go ahead and start off with James in James chapter 1. He says, he identifies who he is. Here he is, he's just saying in, in, in a humble form, I'm just a servant of God in Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it comes down to. Who, who, who are you serving? I mean, and there's a whole a whole section of that over there in the book of Romans. And if you'll turn there to Romans um Let's see here. Let's go over to Romans. Uh, oh, I think it's Romans chapter. No. Um, it's... All right. There, there's the... wise guys. Yeah, chapter six. Chapter six. Half of twelve. Half of twelve. Uh, so here we are in, in this passage in in verse um, um, in verse uh, fifteen. He says, "What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace." He, uh, what does it say? It says, "God forbid." That's a good verse. That's a good verse. Just because we're under grace and we're not bound by, you know, keeping some of the laws of the Old Testament, things like that, but they're still there as a schoolmaster, as he tells the Galatians, I'll tell you this, uh, God forbids us from sinning. He tells us, don't do it. Don't do it. But what do we do? I mean, you ever been, I mean, look, if you can resist it, praise the Lord for it. But every now and then you get on something and you're scrolling through those reels or scrolling through, you know, the little posts and stuff like that. I saw this one of this kid trying to drink a, um, a can of something. I don't know what it was. I hope it was not a beer. But this, this little girl, she's looking down and you hear in the background, don't do it. And the kid just gets this <laughs> mischievous grin, starts leaning down closer. And they're like, don't do it. <laughs> It's the lips. I mean, the lips are like resting on the can. And they're like, you better not do it. And then it's this, you know, pouty face. And sometimes that's the way we are with God. You know, God's saying, don't do that. And then he's like, you know, two minutes later, you're like, didn't I just tell you not to do that? But that's what happens. Anyways, moving on from that point, what I'm getting at is in verse 16, where he says, know ye not 
that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And he says, but God be thanked that we were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. That is an interesting thing. And that, again, correlates to a couple other passages where he says, you have obeyed from the heart. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that you have to obey the gospel. And people are going to say, well, that's a work. No, it's a saving grace. There's a big difference. People start jumping on the bandwagon, slapping works on everything, and you're going to get all messed up. But I'll tell you this, you know, you obeyed. What did it, what did it say? What did it tell you to do? It said, call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. You obeyed, right? I mean, if you didn't trust the Lord as your Savior, if you didn't believe on Jesus Christ, as uh, Acts 16 says, you didn't call upon the name of the Lord, according to Romans chapter 10, uh, then and you're just, just kind of coasting through life going, well, I know Jesus, and I know the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm like, probably not. Um, and, and, you know, and I know God. Now, that's not salvation. It's not salvation. It's not an intellectual assent. It's not a knowing. It's something very different. There's an obedience that's involved. And again, I'm not saying it's a work. Let's not get those words mixed up. But what he says here is, as we go into this, he says, you know, they've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. That's an important choice that somebody made. Again, you know, let's kick the Calvinists to the curb and all that Reformed theology. And what we have to believe is what we have to say is that when a person obeys, there is a choice of obedience, right? There's a choice of obedience. If there's no choice for obedience, then it's not obedience, it's compliance. There's a big difference. And obedience comes before submission. And subjection. Well, that's a whole other subject matter I don't want to get into, but I just, you know, want to make note of that. There has to be this willingness to obey out of love rather than saying, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and do this because I have to. Right. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. There's a, there's a, there's a huge question about faith in that regards. Huge question about faith. But here he is, he's talking about being a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is to uh, not only just, he's not boasting about who, who he is. He's being very humble in this. But, you know, here he is saying, <coughs> pardon me. Here he is simply saying, hey, I, I, I've chosen who's going to be my master. Now, people are going to get upset with that because you start talking about the word master and everybody starts thinking slave. Well, a servant isn't a slave. Let's be very clear with that. Sometimes they can call a person that is a servant a slave, but in Scripture, when we see this here, he's not telling us that he is a slave to God and a slave to Jesus. Slaves don't have a choice. In the Old Testament, the servant had a choice. There came a point in time where they were released from their obligations. And if they decided to stay, they were allowed to stay. And they received a certain mark that said that they were of a, you know, belonged to somebody. So, I mean, it, it, it's very clear here that, you know, that that, that was not a, a forever thing. Slaves are a forever thing. But what we find here is we find that, you know, he's talking about who he is, who he's serving, his background. When we approach somebody, we should always identify ourselves as a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not identify ourselves as a servant of anything else other than that. But here he is, and he gets very specific to whom the book is written. And this comes one of the principles about studying Scripture. He says, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad reading. Now, at the point in time where he wrote this, the twelve tribes 
were getting pushed out of their land. People were getting pushed everywhere. Believers specifically were getting pushed out everywhere. Big old fly somewhere around here. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the, the, they were getting pushed to other areas through persecution. You know, the, uh, the Bible says that Jesus told the, the, the 12 that they were supposed to uh, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, the world. So what do we find them? We find them at one point in time, they're all still huddled around in Jerusalem. So what does God do? God sends a little persecution their way, and they start spreading out. And that was necessary. You know, sometimes God will send you a little bit of a temptation God will send you a little bit of a trial of your faith in your life to get you to spread out, maybe in an area that is not your comfort zone. That is not your comfort zone. These 12 tribes, they had made their home in the country of Israel. It was a province of Rome, and now they were being pushed out. Others who had wanted to occupy the land were now occupying the land. Uh, they had taken over. There was a bunch of heathen influence. Uh, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were doing nothing to help the religious, uh, um, uh, if you will, temperature of the, 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 the church other than make it colder than anything. But the, the end result is, is that they all scattered abroad. So this is a little bit later on during this, you know, the, the early church, where people are starting to get scattered everywhere. And you look at it today, uh, the Jewish people are scattered everywhere. They're scattered everywhere. Go down to Portland, specifically around an area of uh, Beaverton-Hillsdale Highway um, and uh, Shattuck Road, uh, where it starts getting close to Capitol Highway, Multnomah Boulevard, um, some of those other areas. Up around there, you're going to find uh, there is uh, synagogues. There's the Jewish Middleman Center where the trailblazers used to practice. I don't know if they still do. Um, there's uh, a very, very high concentration of Hasidics there. Let's see them walking down the street. Many times as I lived in that area, had two major uh, um, care facilities, uh, Robeson, uh, Jewish Center, Roschnitzer Jewish Center, all of these things that were there, and it was just, it was, that's what, that's who lived there. It had become a major hub for Jews to congregate. Same thing in Florida. There's other areas, New York. All sorts of areas like that. They're scattered abroad. You can find uh, groups of Jews just about everywhere. But where he's talking to these Jews here, he's specifically talking to believers because he says, my brethren. He's not going to call them brethren if they are not believers. But what he's talking to, or he's talking to the 12 tribes, these that have been, uh, have heard the gospel, have trusted Christ as their Savior, they're saved, and they're going through some difficulties. They're going to go through some trials, some persecutions. So he's sending this letter out everywhere. This wasn't to one group like at Corinth, one group that was in, you know, Colossae or something of that nature. This was a group that was, I mean, this letter was written to a broad, broad area. And it covered a lot. But what we do find is we do find the identifier of who this is talking to. This is talking to a lot of uh, Jewish people, people that have Jewish culture. He's not talking to Gentiles. He's not talking the, you know, the same way that uh, the, the Lord would talk to the Romans or even the Corinthians, for that matter, which were a mixed group, or some of the others, the Ephesians, Thessalonians. He's talking to them very specifically about certain things, basically if you will, saying, hey, you know, there's some stuff you should know already, but here's some things that are practical and applicational to, to to what you need to do during this time of trial. 
Now, the great thing about this book is, is when you look at this book, you'll realize how important it's going to be for those that are going through the tribulation period. Because I want you to think about that. What's the worst time in the history of mankind that's ever going to exist? It's during that time. I mean, you've got things falling from the sky, crawling out of the earth, uh, you know, just stuff going bad left and right. I mean, it's just bad. It's not good. You've got people hunting down Christians. You've got people that just absolutely hate people that profess Christ. And during that period of time where people, there will be believers... There will be tribulation saints. The book of Revelation talks about them. And this book, if you will, is kind of directed towards them. Can you think about it? We're not going through a huge amount of tribulation here. Now, I'm not trying to make light of what's going on. I'm not trying to make light over the fact that, you know, people are actually targeting Christians in terrorist attacks now. I mean, let's really call it what it was. That attack on the school was a terrorist attack by a terrorist. Domestic terrorist. Of a specific persuasion. Specifically targeting that school. Specifically targeting Christians, according to their manifesto. That's how much they hate you. Yeah. Could you imagine that and just amp that up about 10 times? Could you imagine that we actually have to have, you know, have to lock the doors, check everybody that comes in for service, make sure they're not carrying? Well, that would eliminate half of our congregation. <laughs> half the congregation would be like, no. <clears throat> That's what I said one time. He's like... Anything ever happens, also if you just hit the floor, because there will be enough enough people to handle it. But uh, you know, you, you just think about how bad that's going to be, and what they still have to maintain. They still don't get to go and hide in a hole and shiver and wait for the Lord to come back. They still have to be out there actively evangelizing. The book of Hebrews also parallels that and works in with uh, uh, with the book of James in the same sense as it's dealing with Hebrews. And you got to remember that's who's going through the tribulation period. It's the nation of Israel being purged the way that God told them He was going to purge them in the Old Testament. He's going to put them through a purging to get rid of all of the garbage and get down to those that are true believers and then start with them that new kingdom that he's going to establish, as he promised. That's the intent. So when we read those verses where it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together over there, uh, where it talks about in, uh, in the book of Hebrews, You realize that also applies to people that are going through that? God said, don't don't forsake that. You actually have to do that. So what we find is we find that the book of James gives us starts giving us a principle about context of who the recipient is. So when we look at these things, we got to keep them in mind. But as I said, all scripture is application here. We can take this and use this. There's so much in here that we can use in this day and age that it, it, it will help our Christian life if we abide by it. The problem is, is a lot of people don't want to listen to what the Word of God says. And they don't think that all Scripture is profitable. And they throw it out. And they say, well, you can't use anything of the book of James because that's all tribulation saint stuff. (sighs) Let's not do that. Let's not do that. I mean, yeah, there's some stuff in Scripture that that we can't apply to ourselves. 
I mean, we're supposed to do everything Jesus Christ said, right? So he told one of the disciples to arise and do what he needed to do quickly. Anybody remember which disciple that was? That was Judas. Did he tell you to go hang yourself? No. So we can't take that and apply it to ourselves. We have to be very careful about it. This is why it it, it really it becomes a, 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 you know I, I cannot implore this more with people. It's just to, to to impress upon them. You study it and look at it. Compare the scripture with the scripture. Uh, divide it the way he says you're supposed to, and look at it in those perspectives, and you will see things. Some people don't do that, and then the next thing you know is they're they're off and wherever. You know, they've got something going on about aliens and so on and so forth, which everyone's freaking out now because of that whole incident that happened down in New Mexico. Why is it always New Mexico? <laughs> Somebody said, hey, New Mexico is a great place to live. You know, I don't like aliens. I'm just going to say that. <clears throat> no, I'm not talking about that kind of alien. Just talking about those little whatever creatures that people are always talking about. And you're like, well, do you believe in space aliens and things like that? Look, I'm just going to say, I don't know what else is out there. I don't know what's on the end of the spirit world. There's stuff underneath here, under this earth, that's crawling around, that's going to come out during the tribulation period. And look, it's not some sort of weird fantasy type thing. We're talking about real stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I ain't going to mess with it. I read a book one time called The UFO Delusion, and one of the things that's always interesting about it is they point out that no saved, born-again, child of God, Christian, has ever had a UFO experience. Talking about close encounter of the third kind. Not the movie, that's what they call it. means where you actually have contact with one. Never happened. There have been some people that claimed that they were Christians, but come to find out their testimony, they weren't saved. So anyways, I don't know why I got on that. Let's get back to the 12 tribes. I'm just saying that's what you can get messed up with if you start going down a different path and you don't study Scripture accordingly. But here we find it gives us a lesson in divisions, gives us a lesson in context of recipient that this this is a Jewish book. Like you read Matthew. Matthew is a Jewish book about a Jewish king and a Jewish kingdom. Makes sense. You try to put anything else in there, and you, like the, the, the church, you're going to get a little mixed up. But what we find here is we find that he, here he starts off in verse 2 saying, my brethren, and he just I mean, goes right into it, and he starts off with one of the hardest verses that I think is in all of Scripture. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And that is a real odd start to a book. Just flat out, right out of the gate, here he's calling to say, look, you need to have joy in your life, even even when you're going through it. Even when you're at at the very bottom. And he says you need to count it all joy. You're going through a difficult time, you're going through a difficult trial, chalk it up and say, hey, this is a time for me to be joyful. Joyful, look, joy is not an emotion, by the way. You try to make joy an emotion, you're going to really get messed up. But I'll tell you this, you know what joy is? Joy is something that is purposely sought from the Holy Spirit of God and received from Him and used to glorify the Lord. That's what joy is, okay? If it's not, if it's anything but that, it's not the joy that we need to be having. You know, there are some things where he talks about the world that has, you know, some joy and some things like that. Those things are temporal things. The joy that the Lord has, that, that he gives us, is, is something that is, is precious. And we need to take time an opportunity to use it. 
So here he's saying, when you go through something, now is the time for you to exercise your joy. It's been given to you. The Lord says you can have it. Do we use it? Now, now notice, he doesn't necessarily say, you know, when we're going through necessarily the tough stuff, he's talking about temptations. Difficult things. You ever been tempted to do something that, I mean, you just absolutely, is, is, is it's going to get you? Something in your in your life that that, that that you know your flesh is so weak to, and it's going to want to go to, and it's going to want to gravitate. I use the analogy of locking me in a room with a bowl of jelly beans. Yeah, that's just diverse temptations. You know, let's put it this way: the devil is not stupid. And he is wily, and he is willing to use anything and everything to get you off the path that God wants you on. Anything. Stuff that you would think would even be godly. Stuff that you would think would even be godly. I've known of people that make it a pride badge of how much they come to church. I'm at church every Sunday. Okay. I mean, that, 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 I, 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 I'm a good Christian. That doesn't make you a good Christian. Just because you're in church doesn't necessarily mean you listen to what was said doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit used that Word of God to pierce into you and cut into you with that two-edged sword and get to the bottom of it and say, hey, here's where your problem is. Did you respond in conviction? Did you respond in belief? Or was it just the, oh, that was a good sermon. What do you guys want for dinner? I don't know. Had to throw that in there. Right? There's more to it than that. When we go through these difficult times, we're going to rely on what the Lord has given us from Scripture. And if we're not listening and we're not paying attention, we're going to miss out. We're truly going to miss out. And here he's saying, I want you to count it all joy. So when you look at it, and you're doing your daily accounting, and you're putting down by transaction by transaction, you're tempted to do something in that temptation. Just count that, first and foremost, as joyful. Oh, look, there's a bowl of jelly beans. Man alive. Praise God that, you know, I'm getting tempted with this. Because I know the only way I'm going to get over it is through the Lord. And how joyful is it to know that He'll be there through with me through that? How joyful is it to know that even if the temptation takes a different view or a different look, that the Lord is still there with me? There's a lot of reasons we can count things joyful. But here he is saying, when you go through temptations, and again, I want to go back to that, that mindset here, here we're kind of talking about some believers that are going through tribulation period. Um, I want you to think about this. You know how many temptations there's going to be? It's not going to be the stupid stuff that we go through, okay? It's not going to be the, the, the stuff that, and I'm not trying to, you know, if you will, minimize it. It's not going to be, you know, fighting over the bowl of jelly beans, you know, having that internal struggle or, you know, um, 
you know, battling things that we think that we battle on a day-to-day basis. Now, we're talking about really, really super, super tough stuff. And I know there's a lot of people that have gone through some things like this, but there will get to a point in time where it's going to become oppressive. You ever been tempted to just to quit? Just to quit. I'm done. I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to go live like the devil, but I'm done. Could you imagine that thought entering and being pounded upon you and impressed upon you every hour of every day? As people are pursuing you to take your life? As people are pursuing you to torture you or harm you? Your family? Easier just to quit. Easier just to give up. Easier just to say, I don't want this anymore. That's a diverse temptation. Maybe you haven't been hit with it, or maybe you've been hit with a small portion of it. Maybe it's creeped up every now and then or something of that nature. Now, I've I've been through some stuff in churches that just it'd make your skin crawl. And I hear people they'll say, you know, I just don't want to be in church because I've been burned. And only <laughs> talking first, second, third degree burns, because I'll show you my scars. I'll show you how bad it really can get. Everything from betrayal to just hurtful to, I mean, to all of it. And I've seen so many Christians just go, I'm done. And I will be very blatantly honest with you. I've had periods of time where in my life I have just thought to myself, I'm done. But I'll tell you this, the joy of the Lord comes when he just says, no, no, you're not. Get back in line. Okay. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah, there's some upbraiding that comes about, but again, as I was talking about, the tender mercies of God and His forgiveness and His long-suffering towards us, all those things, praise the Lord for it, His kindness, His gentleness. He doesn't just smack us up upside the head with a two-by-four. Sometimes some things may seem like that, but it's not necessarily the case. It's just gentle reminders. I mean, with Balaam, people would say, well, that was a smack with a two-by-four. Now, I think that was just God saying, look, if you're going to open your mouth, I'm going to have this donkey open his mouth and speak to you because that's what you are saying right now and acting like. I mean, the, the grace of God. I mean, he could have just had that angel just walk up and cleave the two of them in half and just walk on. I mean, it could have been that simple. The Lord gave him a chance. Praise God for that. But here he says, I want you to count it joy. And all the different types of temptations that are out there, all the different kinds, whether it's temptations of the flesh, temptations of the mind, temptations of the heart, temptations of the spirit, temptations into the soul, temptations on the right hand and on the left, forward and behind, all around. Temptations. And he says this, uh, he says, I want you to count it all joy. In verse 3, knowing this. This is the important part where I like where he says, knowing this. Knowing this, at this point, starts going into that wisdom part that he starts talking about next. It connects directly with it. Wisdom, knowledge, instruction, all of those things. Understanding, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. When you see a temptation, 
you count it joyful first, and you walk away from it. This is God, you know, allowing an opportunity to have your faith be examined. What do you believe? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? What does that mean? Well, by faith, Abraham believed God at his word, and it was counted under righteousness. Why? Because he believed and he obeyed. That's simple. He believed and obeyed. So what do we find here? We find something similar. He's saying, what is it you believe and what is it you're going to obey? Whose servant are you going to be? He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I can't make the Lord come any faster. If any of you in here could, I think we would all employ you. Just say, you know, 10 o'clock tonight, let's go. You know, or even sooner than that, 8 (laughs) o'clock. Right now, let's go. If anybody had that uh, that ability to do that, that'd be great. But but I, I can't. I don't think any of you can. We can pray, even so quick, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we still got work we got to do. And we still have to, in that work, exercise patience. You ever work with the impatient person? Anybody ever work with an impatient person? That, I mean, anybody been that impatient person that you <laughs> had to work with? I, you know, I, I try to be as patient as I can. I try to be as long-suffering because I know who I am, what I've done, and what I could be, and what the Lord has saved me from. I totally understand that. So I have as much long patience as 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 the Lord gives me. And I, I try to be as long-suffering and merciful as I can because that's what he says, you know, kind of the duty of man to do is 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 uh you know to have mercy, as he talks about, I believe it's over there in Amos. Or it's Amos or I think it's Amos. I'm getting messed up now. But the end result is is that, you know, here we are having to go through and work, and we have to work patiently. There are so many people that want to rush what God's doing. They want the Lord to come back right now, but not understanding what that means. The Lord will do it in the Lord's time when the Lord's ready. And I think people forget that. And they want to get people, if you will, I hate to say it this way, they want to get people saved today. How long did it take for you to trust Christ? I mean, we think about this for a second. How long long was the, the, the Lord patient with you? How long has he been patient with us in our growth and our development? Not everybody grows at the same speed. Some people grow slow. Some people grow fast. Growing fast doesn't always work out all that well. Go ask the gourd that that covered Jonah. So we need to think about these things. If God is saying that the temptations that we're going through are going to try our faith of what we believe, do we really believe what God said, and are we willing to obey it? And there's joy with that. There's joy with that. Because what happens? There's a byproduct. With the Lord, there's always these byproducts from stuff. When, when, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you began to grow. Things began to sprout, and bud, and flower, and 
and and then you 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 grew in one area and then that led to another area of growth and and then you grew over there and then you grew over here and and back and forth and all this growth that was going on right but when we start realizing that when our faith is tried we get more patience every time we're tempted and we count it joy our faith is tried, we get patience. Our patience coffer builds. We know people that have no, nothing in the patience coffer. It's empty. It's been empty for a while. As a matter of fact, there's still a dead spider in there. So, we, we, you know, there, there's people just are impatient. And I guarantee you, those are the people that have the hardest time trusting what God says. I guarantee you, people that lack patience are going to be the people that have a hard time trusting the Lord, believing what he said, and obeying it. Guarantee you, they're not doing anything for the Lord. There's no activity afterwards. But what we find here is we find that he says, if you're going to have your faith tried, and it's going to be tried you know, example, like in a furnace or something like that, it's going to produce something like those rewards that we talk about, 1 Corinthians 3. They just produce something better. Put gold in a fire, you refine it. Silver in a fire, you refine it. Precious stones, well, they don't do much. But what you find is you find that they still have tremendous value and they become even more valuable. So when we look at what the Lord is doing here, when he talks about working patience in us, that means that we have to have this patience that we're willing to build up. Because take a look at the next verse. But let, in verse 4. There's that let again. The allowance. What do we allow in our life? We can allow people to affect us, or we can allow them to not affect us. We can allow circumstances, environment to affect us, or we can allow the Holy Spirit to affect us. If we let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do, then it's going to be a lot easier. That's part of the submission's objection part. It's the letting. It's the letting. It's a preference. But here, here you're saying, let patience. But let patience. Do we allow patience to have that work? Do we even know that patience is knocking on the door during the temptation and the trying of the faith? Are we that receptive to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, and we've got enough of it hidden in our heart, and we're believing it by faith and obeying it by faith, uh, is it is it something that we're going to respond to? Are we going to let her have her have her work in our life? He says, "But let patience have her perfect work." Now here comes the interesting thing. He talks about perfect work. This perfection that the Lord talks about and throughout Scripture, He gives us an idea of how to get there. Now again, perfection of what you think and perfection of what God thinks are two different things, okay? I'm not talking about perfect as in like completely sinless. But what he's saying here is if we let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect in entire wanting nothing. If we allow the perfectness of God to deal with us, we will start moving towards that perfect. Now, that is a goal that we should attain, too. Doesn't he say, be ye perfect? I mean, again, we believe the Word of God, right? And I'm not taking that one out of context. I know it's written to, and I know exactly what it is, but the application is still there for us. Be perfect. Ye perfect. 
And here you're saying part of that being perfect is just being patient. Letting patience do its work. And that's an amazing thing when we let patience do her work. She's going to be off busy handling whatever we're fretting and worrying about. Just the way the Lord wants it handled. And we just let that work in our life. Why? Because, again, there's certain situations that you can control and there's certain things you can't. If there's one thing I know in this world is you cannot control every situation and circumstance that happens in your life. If you think you can, you need to come see me for some counseling. (laughs) Because there's a little bit of a mental issue there. Because you can't. You can't. You can't control whether a meteorite's going to hit you. Whether the Toyota is going to hit you. Whether, you know, building collapse. Like, these are all bad things, yeah. Can you control them? Can you control whether or not you get cancer? Well, you can live and eat right. And You know how many people I've known that were these health nuts and they ran and stuff like that and at 40-something years old just fell over dead because their heart stopped? I'm not saying be a glutton and, you know, use your, use your body as a roller coaster amusement park. But, you know, just take that into consideration. I know people that have eaten right and then, you know, they're sitting there and 40, 50 years old, doctor walks in and goes, you got stage four cancer, there's nothing we can do for you. You're done can make you as comfortable as you want. Man. Person runs, they were hiking, they were doing everything, they were active. You know, they ate great, they ate lots of salads, you know, they refrained from jelly beans. I mean, all sorts of stuff, right? <laughs> they did that. This is stuff you know, you're supposed to do, right? Well, the end result is... They couldn't control that as much as they tried. Well, I took all those free radicals. Well, obviously the free radicals didn't do anything for you. I took all those, you know, anti-cancer pills and drugs and supplements and, 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 you know, chewed peach pits and whatever else and blah, 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 blah. It's like, can't control that. It's not in our, our 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 purview to control. So how we respond to it is going to be the big thing. Temptation comes. You can't always control that. How do you respond? With joy. With joy and you say, well, I'm just going to not deal with this part over here. I'm just going to deal with what God tells me to deal with in my life, and I'm going to work through that, and we'll just continue to move forward with works that the Lord is going to be pleased with, and I'm just going to let some other things be. While I wait for the Lord to return patiently. I guarantee you, people are going to be wanting the Lord to come back even quicker during the tribulation period. Even quicker. We'll get uh, into this a little bit more where we're talking about uh, that being perfect and entire wanting nothing. Uh, we'll take a look at a couple of the other verses that he mentions uh, in his passage, or excuse me, in the book. Um, and then again, getting into that wisdom part where, again, there's other connections in this book, uh, linking these things all back to, if you will, this introductory type chapter. But uh, we'll take a look at that, Lord willing, next week. Well, let's go ahead and uh, dismiss with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity to just meet and hear from your word. And Lord, it, uh, it's just so great to to be here uh, with your people and just uh, enjoy the fellowship of the Spirit. And thank you again, Lord, for those that are here. Pray, Lord, you just uh, continue to impress upon them these words that uh, we've seen from you. Your Holy Spirit would use them to guide and direct us and to teach us. 
and to lead us into what you want us to do, your will. Thank you again for all of this. And this I pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.